Last week, we started learning kind of about a foundation message for us. We were talking about God's presence with us. And uh, so we were in Exodus 33, and we concluded from that message that uh, we must be extremely concerned with having the presence of God in our midst. Uh, we joined Moses as he questioned the Lord. He said to him, is it not your going with us that makes us distinct? And that's what we want to be as a church here in South Calgary. We want God to go with us. We don't want to be in an empty room where God is not moving. We don't want to be just performing church. We want God to be building his kingdom, to be building it here. And, uh, and so that's, that's who we are as a church. That's what we desire. And we know that Christ, Jesus, before he left, his final words was that he would be with us right till the end of the age. He gave us that in his great commission, that he'll always be with us. And so we have God's presence among us. And if you're a Christian this morning, you've got God's presence in you. And he's with us collectively as the body of Christ. So we never want to lose sight of that. And uh, we want that to be our ultimate goal. And it's a beautiful reality. And, uh, but what, what do we do now? We're in our second Sunday. Uh, we're not going to be camping in Exodus, uh, but we are going to be starting in a new book. We're going to be starting in Colossians. And uh, we need to hear from the Lord. We need to hear from Him through His Word. And so we are a church that believes that God's Bible, His book, the Bible is perfect that it is sufficient, that it's authoritative over our lives, that it's God's self-revelation to man. That's how we come to know him. He wrote a book to us, to each of us, to tell us about himself. And we're called, I'm called to preach the word. You're called to preach the word to each other and to the world. We're all called to believe in this authoritative word. And so here we, in this church, we, we hold to bold preaching, a bold expository, applicational preaching, which means we open up God's Word and we look into the history, we look into the grammar, we look into the original languages and we pull out that one intended meaning that God wants us to know and then to apply it into each other's lives. And so this church will be a church that will preach. We will preach to you and preach to each other. God told us to, to feed His sheep, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so we believe in this. And so uh, this is what we're doing here this morning. If you don't have a Bible, just slip up your hand with you this morning. Um, take one of our Bibles with you. Um, if you need one, we want you to have God's Word. I don't want you to be uh, thinking that I'm making anything up up here. We want you to, to know God by His Word and, and to be checking what we're doing against His sufficient Word. And so we're going to be starting in Colossians. And as you can see, we have a bit of a theme here. This is the theme of Colossians, that in everything, Christ would be preeminent. This is the heart. This is the, the hub of the wheel of Colossians. And this is the answer to our lives, that Christ is first, that he is supreme, that he is preeminent. And so everything that we're going to talk about in Colossians is going to hitch on that, and we're going to do that this morning as well. So please turn in your Bibles to Colossians. Um, if you don't know where Colossians is, just go to the New Testament. Go 12 chapters to your right. And uh, one of our, our old pastors, Pastor Dan Dumas from Kentucky, he, uh, he taught us how to find it. He said, just remember this, General Electric Power Company. Okay, that's going to help you find where Colossians is. So that's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. General Electric Power Company, and you'll find yourself there. And we're going to be starting in chapter 1, verse 1. And so while you're turning there, I want to ask you a couple questions. 
couple questions about the gospel and its effect on your life. You know, in the church, we often throw this word around gospel, the gospel, be transformed by the gospel, believe in the gospel. But I want to ask you this morning, have you been changed by the gospel? Have you been transformed by the gospel? And if you have, how do you know? How do you know that you've been changed by the gospel? Is there, is there fruit lining up with your profession? Does your life look different? You're, you're professing the name of Christ. Is Christ shining himself through you? Is there, is there any evidence in your life that you are truly a Christian? And so we're going to look at some of that today in Colossians. So today we're going to be given a message from the Lord, highlighting evidences of genuine faith in this Colossian church. And through our, our eight verses we're going to look at this morning, we're going to be challenged as a church to examine ourselves. It's always good to be examining ourselves to see whether we're in the faith, to be looking at the evidence of our lives, to see if there is some true gospel transformation in us. And so I'm going to read, starting in verse 1 of Colossians and going down to verse 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of bone and flesh, soul and spirit, that it opens us up and exposes our sin exposes our need for you. We thank you that it, uh, that it does cut deep and it does hurt sometimes, but, but we, we welcome that, Lord, as, as your people. We welcome your spiritual surgery in our life and that you would continue to transform us into your image by your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit, working that word into our hearts. And so today we pray that you would speak to us boldly, speak to us and, and change us, and grant us repentance and faith this morning, and help us to long for you and to long for your return and to do your work. So we ask your Holy Spirit to be working in this place, guiding us through your word, illuminating it to us, and teaching us. And we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, in order to understand the Bible rightly, you need to be looking at, uh, at a lot of things. And so we're going to be looking at some of the context of Colossians because we're just starting this, this book we need to know a little bit of this background. If anybody was in uh, the session with Gavin yesterday, they were learning how to study the Bible. I think they pounded out about five hours uh, about how to study the Bible. And, uh, and so those guys are going to be ahead of the game here this morning, ahead of me. Um, but uh, if you want to study the Bible rightly, you have to understand the context. You've got to remember it this way. Context is king. 
When it comes to the scriptures, context is always king, and meaning is always one. So just, just keep that. Write that down as a note, something to always be thinking about when you're studying the Word of God. And so rather than just jumping blindly into any text, we got to consider that, that the Word of God, and, and especially Colossians, is separated by us by 2,000 years. And there's a whole completely different culture going on here. And there was, a, there was an ancient language that we don't know, the original Greek that this was written in. And there was also a vastly different geography. So you and I need to understand the, the surrounding context in order to find that true meaning and apply it to our lives today. And so this book that we're opening up, Colossians, is a letter. It's a letter uh, that would have been written on parchment, not, not through your Word document or your email or your Instagram message that we're doing today. This is, this is formal writing. And, and at the start, there would have been this formal greeting, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. And so we see that Paul is, is named first. He is the one writing this letter. And he's the one that intends to send it to the Colossians. Uh, but Timothy himself is, is also named. Uh, Timothy is, is Paul's close companion in the New Testament. Actually, there's an epistle wrote to Timothy as well. And so some scholars might think that Timothy might have been a, an amanuensis, which would be like a scribe. He might have been writing, uh, writing the words of Paul. But maybe not. It could have just been that he was just really close with Paul and Paul wanted to mention him. But nonetheless, we know... And good theology would tell you that God is the one who is writing his scripture. The Holy Spirit is the one who writes scripture by the will of God. So Paul presents himself as an apostle, meaning he was, he was a man who was specially indwelt by the Holy Spirit in the, in the first century to, to write the words of this letter, to be writing the New Testament. And this New Testament that you have in your hand is the authoritative word of God. When you pick that up tomorrow morning, when you're going to do your devotions, say to yourself, this is God's authoritative word. God is speaking to me through his word. And he wrote it through men. 2 Peter 1.21 always helps us here. And it says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one who writes Scripture through men, and they write it down. And you might even see some of their characteristics inside of that, but the Bible is not just written by men in a vacuum. The Holy Spirit is the one intending to write that Scripture. And so God is writing this, this letter to the Colossians, and He is also writing it to us, this church 2,000 years later. It says, He's writing it to the saints, which means the holy ones, those who, are, who have been saved, those who are separate from the world, uh, to faithful brothers. This comes from the Greek word adelphoi, which can also be brothers and sisters who are in Christ. These are, these are Christians who are receiving this letter. The church is made up of Christians. And we see at Colossae, this is, this is the first Colossian church. Now, when's the last time you guys were at the, the first Colossian church? Raise a hand. Who, who was there last, right? Not one of us was there. Uh, back in the 3rd and 4th centuries B.C., the city of Colossae was, was a thriving city in the heart of the Roman province of Asia. I think we got some pictures there. You can see a bit of a map there. So 3rd and 4th centuries B.C., it was thriving. It was, it's now in what's known as modern Turkey. Um, 
But back then, it was situated in the, in the Lycus Valley. It was, a, it was a transient town. It was an eclectic town, all kinds of cultures. It was situated on an intersection of, of two major trade routes, military routes. And so this place was thriving. Another cool thing was that this place was known for textile trading. It was also known for this special wool called Colossian wool. It was a deep red dyed wool. Any knitters here among us? My wife's a knitter. Your fingers are probably going already thinking about that Colossian wool. Um, so there would have, been, would have been wool stores on every corner, right? Uh, and so this, this was a thriving town, a lot of commerce, and it was, a, it was a busy place to be. And like I said, there was a lot of culture there as well, a lot of mixed culture, a lot of paganism. In fact, there was actually a lot of Jewish people that were brought there in the diaspora as well. But by the time that Paul was writing this letter in about 60 to 61 A.D., the town of Colossae was, was taking a, a turn for the worst. Anybody watch the movie Cars? Remember that old movie Cars? Route 66, you know, the, the big, the, the, the highway that was great at one time was Route 66, but then they moved the freeway away from this little town, I don't even know the name of that town, Radiator Springs or something. Um, not a real town, right? But anyhow, it's kind of true that the, as the highway moves, the, the, the town kind of falls Apart, and that's what's going on here at Colossians, at the Colossae. The town was was really taking a turn for the worse. The economy was was in a recession, and uh, in the nearby towns, Laodicea and Heropolis was they were ones that were growing because the highway was now closer to them, and so it was hard times. But amidst the hard times, there is this gospel believing, faithful church in Colossae, and shining the light of Christ in that area. They knew the gospel. Uh, they knew the Christian message of Christ. They were faithful, as Paul says. But Paul was writing because there was some concerns. There was some false teaching starting to creep in to the church. And so Paul's writing to address that, and he will address that throughout this letter. But he starts by writing with encouragement. He starts to write and to teach and to instruct and to remind them of the primary message of the gospel. He was going to remind them of the preeminent message of grace and peace rooted and founded in the supremacy, the, the preeminence of Christ Jesus. And so that's going to be the theme of this, this whole letter. But he starts here with a message of thankfulness in verse 3. A message of thankfulness that the, that the Lord is, is happy with his church. And that this church is, is marked by an evidence of gospel transformation. And so we're going to see, we're going to apply this to our own life, to be examining ourselves, to be looking for these same things in us, and to be aiming for these things as we move forward. Evidences of gospel transformation. And the first one we're going to look at starts in verse 3, and it is, we'll be marked by gospel fruit. We'll be marked by gospel fruit. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So the first thing I want you to notice here is that Paul is affirming to this Colossian church that they are proving the genuineness of their faith. And there's some, so there's some clear indicators of this gospel transformation among them. And Paul tells the Colossians, 
that when he prays for them, he prays with great thanksgiving because of, because of the gospel that is being seen among them. And although Paul has never been to this church, he's heard about this church through Epaphras. Their character and their transformation precedes this church. Just picture Epaphras meeting Paul and telling him about his church. You know, one of the, the saddest things that, that I, I witness, uh, in, in, now that I'm new to ministry, uh, is that when pastors get together, oftentimes they're not talking about this. Often they're talking about uh, their churches and they're asking, oh, what kind of numbers do you have going on there? What kind of, what kind of a building did you just build? And, and all these kinds of things. But are they talking about the faithfulness of their people? Here we see that, that Paul and Epaphras were, were talking about the faithfulness and they were rejoice, rejoicing in thankfulness. And Paul is, is hearing about this fruit and Epaphras is excited to share it with him. And this fruit is, is faith and love and hope. So since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And so let me ask you, is our church, our new church, going to be known for faith and hope and love? And how about you in your life? Are you marked by faith and hope and love? Paul often uses this, this triad in the New Testament, markers of genuine faith in God's people. And these, these characteristics, this faith, love, and hope, they're not natural to us, right? True faith, redeeming love, and everlasting hope cannot just be whipped up within ourselves apart from the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And so let's not be quick to glaze over these, these terms as we study the Scripture. Let's take a look at our hearts and see where we are when it comes to faith, love, and hope. And so we see here that the gospel produces faith. And so are we marked by faith? Were you once a skeptic and now you believe? Do you readily run to Christ? These concepts, faith and belief, they're also words that are just casually tossed around in our world without much care. We often tell each other we need to take a leap of faith or we just need to believe but what are we to believe in? I might have shared this before with, with some of you, but when we were on a holiday once down in San Diego, we went to go to uh, SeaWorld, and that's where they have the, the, big, the big whales there that, that splash in the water, and they had this show, and all across these video screens, they kept saying, believe, 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 for the whole show, but they never told us what to believe in, and that's the message of the world. They want to believe in belief. But Jesus says to us, believe in me. So the Christian faith doesn't, doesn't just believe in belief, it believes in evidence. It believes in Christ Jesus, the marks of him in this creation and in this word. We believe in the preeminent transforming power that we see in our lives as well. The touch of Christ in our lives as he's transforming us into his image also causes us to believe. And that's why Paul praises God for producing faith in these Colossian people. They have faith. And they don't just have faith in faith. 
They don't have faith in themselves, but they have faith, it says, in Christ Jesus. And so as you and I think about about the fruit of, of faith being produced in these people, let's ask ourselves, is faith being produced in me? Am I growing stronger in my faith? Do I, do I hold on to Jesus Christ as that, that solid rock of my understanding? During the hardest times of my life, am I, am I running to Him? Do I, do I believe in Him? Do I trust in Him? Or, or the minute that something hard comes in, do I tend to lose it? Do I kind of go sideways? And would your family and your friends characterize you as faithful? Would they characterize you as faithful? Friends, we often fail at believing. I think all of us live at different stages of belief at times. Sometimes it's weaker. Sometimes it's stronger. But the question remains, are you marked by a growing faith in Christ Jesus? And are you seeing the evidence of that faith being produced in your life? Are you, are you more dependent on the Lord today than you were yesterday? And then it comes to love as well. Is our love being redeemed? The gospel redeems love. The type of love the Bible talks about here is an agape love. It's not a self-focused love. It's not a a shallow love. It's not a sexual love. It's, It's a love that Paul says here is a love that we have for all the saints. It's a self-sacrificing love for one another in the church. This should remind us of of Jesus' words in John 13, 35, that the world will know that we are disciples because of our love that we have for one another. It's love. It's it's spiritual-produced love. Now, now apart from God, we love, right? We do love one another. Unbelievers love one another, but it's a fallen love. It's It's an imperfect love. It's not a love, a vertical love aimed at the Lord. But God comes to redeem love. Genuine Christians are marked by this redeemed Christian love. And Paul says this this love and then this faith that he was just talking about, he's he's heard that it's alive and it's well within the Colossian church because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. Hope. And so we also see that the gospel provides hope. The church at Colossae They weren't a hopeless people. They trusted in the Lord. They they knew that the eternal outweighed the temporary. They knew that even in in these trying times, as their economy was failing and and the city seemed to be in decline and things were crashing all around them, that, that they could hold to the one who is our hope, our everlasting hope. One interesting fact to consider here is that Within a year or two from when this letter was written to the church at Colossae, there was a massive earthquake that leveled the town of Colossae. And so just think about these hopeful people, hoping in the return of God, hoping in heaven, and the world crashed down all around them. That's where we want to be. We want to live knowing that this world could fall around us. We could be in all kinds of tragedy. We want to hold on to the rock of Jesus Christ. These people were a hopeful people. The gospel provides this hope, this faith, this love. And they hoped in heaven. 
something that can never be taken away for Christians. It was laid up for them, which means it was reserved for them, stored up for them. It wasn't our own doing. It's been reserved by Christ through His power and His resurrection. It cannot be removed from us by any kind of power, any kind of dominion. We, we're, we're pilgrims in this world. We have an eternal life to come. That eternal life starts now when we repent of our sin and trust in Jesus Christ. But we know that there's eternity ahead of us when we get to be face-to-face with the Lord, with Him, in heaven. 1 Peter 1.4 tells us that it's an inheritance that is imperishable, and it's undefiled, and it will not fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you. That gives us great rejoicing. So where are you placing your hope this morning? Where are you placing your hope in this world? Is it rooted in heaven, in the person and work of Jesus Christ? Or is your hope placed here right now? It's a good thing to be examining. Where is my hope this morning? When something's taken away from me and, and, I, and I squirm and, 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 and I get worked up, is it because I'm placing my hope in other things? The gospel produces hope. And so as we analyze these, these gospel fruits, this, this faith and this love and this hope, do these three characteristics mark your life? Ask yourself, does this sound like me? Am I a faithful, hopeful, loving person? Is this my overall character? Now, now we know that we don't do any of these things perfectly. The, the Bible talks about being above reproach. That, that, that doesn't mean that we, we reach perfection in this life. We're going to fail time and time again, but we have a goal, and that is to be found in Christ's righteousness, but growing in Him, and that these fruits are actually starting to grow in us. And it happens by believing in the transforming power of the preeminent gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as I look out onto this crowd, I, I, I know most of you, and, and I'll tell you that uh, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that I'm seeing these things in you. I'm seeing increasing love, increasing hope, increasing faith. God is at work amongst us. And we have much to be worshiping Him for I would boast just like Epaphras did to Paul that, that my people, our people here are, are growing in faith. And so be encouraged by that this morning. If, if you're looking at your life and you're saying, hey, there's, there's, there's just something wrong. I, I just don't see a lot of faith. I don't see a lot of hope. There's always time to repent. The, the Christian life is a time of continual repentance. Not that we're losing salvation. That can never be lost from you if you are His, if you are found in Him, but there's this ongoing progression of sanctification as we grow and walk in the Lord and we grow in holiness in Him. These things should be evident and start growing in your life. So, and as God teaches us through His Word, we see this fruit increasing. In this increasing, we're going to call multiplication. We want the fruit to be multiplying in us. We want it to be multiplying 
out of us. And so we see in the next section, another evidence of gospel transformation is that we'll be marked by gospel multiplication. We'll be marked by gospel multiplication. Starting in 5b. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It's bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So Paul is saying here, this word of truth, this word of truth is the gospel. And that's what the Colossians heard. And that's what the Colossians believed. This gospel multiplied from somebody else. And somebody is changed by the gospel. They grow in the Lord. And as they grow in the Lord, they they grow into one another. And as they grow into one another, they begin to multiply out from themselves and multiply the fruit of the gospel. This is the cycle that God has determined from day one to do His work through His people. And so the more that you grow, the more that you spill over into somebody else, and that person hears the gospel, and they come to faith, and they believe, and they are transformed, and they start to grow, and they start to, to multiply. That's the plan. Now, this, uh, this Greek verbiage used here of bearing fruit, now this is agricultural language of the time, uh, pretty simple to understand. Uh, speaking of a tree that is, that is growing up and, and growing out and dropping seed on the ground. And then we see these little trees produce. We have this tree in our, in our, in our backyard. I actually don't know what it's called. I think it's an Alberta thing. We're from BC. Real tall, skinny, kind of a poplar-looking tree. And, uh, and, and we're renting this place, so we're looking around, and, and we see all these sprigs of these trees. Now, if I owned it, I might be wanting to pull those out, but it's not my place. But I see these trees growing all over the place. And uh, this is kind of a picture for you of the gospel going into somebody else. They grow up in the faith. They spread out, and they drop seed, and other people are then growing. That is the plan. That's God's plan. And so how are you doing with that plan, right? That's, that's, that's what he determines to do in you. There's no, there's no plan B. That's plan number one. Drop the seed, multiply the seed, multiply that gospel, make disciples from here to the ends of the earth. And we see how that happened. The reason that we're standing here today is that 2,000 years later, that seed that began in Jerusalem, just picture Jerusalem as a tree that... that that sprouted up on the day of Pentecost, this, this gospel tree that, that began to spread out over the earth. And then 2,000 years later, we are a sapling of that tree growing in New Brighton to spread the gospel here in southeast Calgary and also around the world. This is multiplication. This is making disciples. And why should we do this? Why should we submit to this? Because we know that God is the one who is doing it. He does it in us. This is his plan, this is his gospel, and his gospel must advance. And the gospel cannot be held back. Even if we refuse to do it, it's going to move without us. Somebody else will take our place. And so we stand here, and we go, and we share the gospel. It's God's transforming power in that gospel that's bent on reaching to the ends of the earth. And he plans to use you. Remember, the Great Commission isn't just for pastors. It's not just for missionaries. It's for every one of us. And, and, and we'll never stop saying that. We'll keep on saying that until the end of the world. 
that we need to be reminding ourselves of that, that we need to multiply ourselves. And Paul is saying, this is all by the grace of God, through the word of truth, the gospel. It's the hinge towards which all multiplication takes place is the gospel. All fruit is born in the gospel. Romans 10 reminds us that that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That is the gospel's plan is to, to multiply. And so if we want to be a faithful church, we need to be a multiplying church. Even last week we mentioned we're, we're planting this church and we're thinking about the next church, right? That's the plan. We keep on, we want to grow this and then grow out as well. And so we want to be faithful to our call. And we start with discipleship. Discipleship is, is hearing the gospel over and over again in our lives. We should never, ever tire of the gospel. We preach it to ourselves, we preach it to each other, and we preach it to the world. And the Colossian church here is proof that hearing multiplies faith. Hearing multiplies faith. And so why are we so prone to keeping that to ourselves? Why are we so prone to to keeping that bottled up when we know that it's the word and the power of the gospel that changes lives? Why do we keep that to ourselves? Are you even preaching it to yourself when you get up in the morning and and you you have those negative thoughts, sinful thoughts, me thoughts? Are you looking in the mirror and preaching the truth to yourself that I am in Christ? I've been giving His strength, His power, His spirit to overcome my sin and my despair. Are you preaching it to your friends and family in the church? We do small groups here at Harvest and, and we do that intentionally to be teaching and preaching the gospel to one another, loving one another with God's word, having rich quinonia fellowship, discipling one another. The Bible is all full of one another's. Are we multiplying in our holiness? Are we growing in holiness together? Are we preaching it to the world? Are we allowing God to use us to save lost sinners for His glory, to save them from their sin? And like I said, we're all called to this. This is the grace of God in truth, and we have the truth, friends. We have the truth. 95% of the people outside our doors in this city don't have the truth. We have the grace of God in truth. Let us not be selfish with that grace. Let us spread it to the nations. So God has given us his grace, this truth. It's the only truth. It's not, it's not a truth among all the different truths. We're not, there's not all these different pathways to heaven. There is one. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is the only way when we have to trust him in that. And so let's embrace this joyful privilege to be multiplying the gospel to the world. Without sharing it, the world perishes apart from knowing who Jesus is. They die in their sin and they spend eternity under God's wrath. And so I plead with you as you walk out the doors today to be thinking about that. When you, when you see that person on the street, when you sit across that person on the train, when you say hello to your neighbor, 
when you go home. Be thinking about this. That person may die today and they would die in their sin and God is calling me to go to them with the truth. And the gospel has the power to transform them. This preeminent gospel of Jesus Christ, this grace of God will transform them and begin to change them into the image of Jesus and they'll be saved from their sin. So are we marked, are you marked by gospel multiplication? And then we see in this last section one more evidence of transforming power of the preeminent message of the gospel. And, we, and it's this, we'll be marked by gospel service, which is really in line of what we were just talking about. Starting in verse 7, it says, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So by the grace of God, this man from Colossae, this Epaphras, uh, he was visiting the city of Ephesus when, when Paul was working for two years with the Ephesian church. And by the grace of God, he heard Paul preach the gospel. He heard him preach the powerful, transforming gospel of Christ. And he heard and he believed. And evidently, it says that Epaphras would have come back to Colossae and, and he would have been the one to tell these people about the good news of Jesus. So just like the Samaritan woman at the well, remember Jesus met her and, and uh, was talking to her about living water. And then he told her about her life and the sin that he's seen in her life and that she needs to become a true worshiper of him. Well, she hears the gospel and what does she do? She runs to her town and she tells everyone she knows about Jesus Christ. And so we see Epaphras here. He was a multiplier. It says that he was a servant, a disciple maker. It says our fellow servant, our beloved fellow servant and faithful minister. Now the word being translated uh, servant here can be more directly translated slave, bond servant. Servant can sound just like somebody that might come and clean the carpets. Slave is somebody that is, that is owned by God. And so he lays down his life. He lays down his life for the truth, for the gospel. He gives up trying to be CEO over all of his plans. He gives, gives up trying to be the boss of his life. He pushed himself outside of his comfort zone, and he was compelled to enslave himself to the work of ministry. He was a minister. He knew what was at stake. He got it. He understood it. And there is a wake of believers that are left from his ministry. He understood the Great Commission, and he was obedient to the call. And he was marked by this unwavering, sacrificial life, this service to the Lord. And so we're all called to be ministers. The Bible tells us that we belong to a ministry of reconciliation, reconciling sinners to God. He uses us. We're all ministers. The minister is not just the guy standing up here in the pulpit. We all minister to one another. We serve one another. We serve the Lord as we do his work. We're called to serve. I've met uh, a lot of awesome ministers in my life. 
a lot of servants of the Lord, people who have devoted their, their whole lives to the gospel, to preaching the good news. And I pray that that would be you and me, that our legacy would be that those people served the Lord faithfully. They weren't afraid. They devoted their lives. They made room in their life to serve. They, they, they made the way for them to be available to the church, to work for the church, to, to do God's work, to either to go on a mission, to be at mission here, wherever God is calling you, you are called to serve. And Epaphras displays that for us here today. Just a couple of weeks ago on, on January 9th, uh, it marked the 62nd anniversary of the death of five uh, missionaries on the banks of the Curai River in Ecuador. These five guys, Nate Saint, Pete Fleming, Roger Uteran, Ed McCauley, and Jim Elliott, they were trying to reach the lost people group in the Quechua Mountains, the Quechua Indians deep in the jungle of Ecuador. And these men made contact with this tribe that they heard about, this, this violent tribe that was always warring with one another and other tribes. But they knew that they were lost apart from the gospel of Jesus, and so they went. And they started to make contact. They had a plane and they had a bucket, and they were sending down presents to these people, and they would land on this shore next to them. And they actually met, they met some of the native men. And then they had plans to come back. And so they came back. They, they landed again on the shore, but... But something went wrong with the villagers, with the, with the tribe. There was actually a lie spread about these guys that they were coming for other purposes. And so as these five men landed in the plane and they got out and they were on the shore, the natives came and killed them. Killed them. And they were trying to meet them and trying to share the gospel with them. They wanted these natives to know the power of the transforming message of the preeminent Christ, that their hope is, can only be found in, in Him alone and not in their animistic practices. But they were killed for the gospel. They were faithful ministers, faithful servants. They knew this transforming message. But what's, what was beautiful about this story is that's not where the story ended. So we rejoice that, that people are martyred for the faith. They're witnesses of the faith. What came after that was that the wives of these men returned. And they continued the mission. And they actually made contact with these people. They made the, the Time magazine back in that year. Elizabeth Elliot and the other wives began to minister to these people. They made contact. And the, and the villagers, these tribal people, brought them in. And they started to reach them with the gospel. And this is a testimony of faithful ministry producing fruit. And God used it for his glory. In this tribe now, there's, there's no more crazy violence like they used to have. God is transforming that people. In the wake, there is a faithful people and there is a church there. And those people are sharing the faith with the tribes around them as well. It's a beautiful thing to see God at work, to see him using faithful ministers for his glory. And so for us, how do, we, how do we approach this? How do we think about this in our lives when, when we're scared to walk across the street, when we're scared to, to talk to somebody on the street? Think about that. God will bless the work 
And you just be faithful to follow. Ask for the strength of the Holy Spirit to help you. Are you willing to lose it all for him? So when Jim Elliott, uh, the day before he, uh, they landed their plane, he wrote in his journal. He wrote this. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And then he quoted from Luke 9, 24. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. He knew that God would bless the work of his hands and that his life was worth losing for the gain of Christ in these people. So are we willing to lose our lives for the glory of God? Are we willing to lose our lives to minister, to be servants, to be slaves so that the world can know of Jesus Christ? Are you, are you willing and, and ready to, to embrace the privilege you have to be making disciples? This faithful Colossian church, this church was full of the love of the Holy Spirit. It was evident in them. And it started with one person. One person hearing, one person believing, one person telling, and then that multiplying and growing. And the message they had was a, this preeminent message of Jesus Christ. We are marked by the gospel fruit in our life. We pray that that's going to be us, that we'll be marked with faith, with love, with hope, that we would be so changed by the gospel that we would multiply this fruit in our lives, in our church, and in the world that we cannot but help but obey the Lord and follow Him, to be of service of Him, to minister to Him, to us across this globe. He, starting in verse 15, we're going to go back to this and preach this in a, in a couple of weeks, and it's going to be, uh, it's one of the most glorious sections of Scripture. Just look down on, the, on your page to verse 15. This whole book hubs on this. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. We're here for the Lord. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, first, supreme. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the gospel, the preeminent gospel that changes lives, that Jesus is God, that he came and he lived for you and he died in your place so that you could have life and have it abundantly in Jesus Christ, but also to release you from your own enslavery to sin and to make you a servant, a slave of him, to work for him in glorious privilege of the gospel. And I pray that's going to be us as a church, that we would be marked by gospel fruit, that we would be marked by gospel multiplication, that we would be marked by gospel service. Let's pray.
Father, we, uh, we love your word. We love that it tells us the truth, that it's the truth of the gospel, that it tells us about you and your character and the character that you want to produce in us. We thank you that you tell us that we're sinners and that apart from you, we can do nothing. We thank you that, that we don't have to believe any longer, that somehow we can make our way to heaven, that we can make our way to you on our own. But your word is revealed to us, Lord, that you have made the way, that you alone are Savior. And so we ask you to continue to work on us, produce faith, love, and hope in us. We pray for fruit. We pray that you would multiply us into this world, that we would just merely be faithful to follow and that you would go before us by the power of your spirit and change lives for your gospel. We pray that we would serve you faithfully, serve you willingly, that we would go to the ends of the earth if that's where you're calling us, and that we would count it a privilege to lose our lives for the sake of Jesus Christ. Help us to know this message. Help us to live in light of the preeminence of Jesus Christ. That that would be everything to us. That that would be number one. That nothing else can come between us and Him. That we would turn from our sin daily and turn to You. We love You, Lord, and thank You for today and for what You have told us. We pray that You would apply it deep into our heart and we would be changed and we would be better worshipers of You. We ask this in the strength of the Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.